Man, it's good to be home again. I only missed, what I missed, two weeks? Two Sundays? Two Sundays, right, I think? Two Sundays I missed? No, one Sunday. Two Sundays? One Sunday. I missed one Sunday this time. Right? Last Sunday. Right, Big A? I was here the Sunday before. Yeah, dude. Cutting them down, baby. One Sunday. Who taught last week? Miss Liz taught? I know it's good. Here's the cool part about this body of believers, and one thing that you guys have heard me talk about is, <clears throat> I've said this before, I'll, I'll just continue to say it. Like, I don't know if we really know what we're doing. Like, I honestly don't know if, if we as a body of believers know how to do church right, honestly, in a corporate whole across the world. I really don't know if we do it right, because we're so used to just taking models and plans that we see, and then we try to fit what's for our region and then we add to it and then we put timers up and then you got a half hour of worship and 40 minutes or 45 minutes of teaching and then you always have a prayer. I don't know if we're doing it right. I mean, here's what, honestly, I just really, I, I spend time with the Lord in it. <laughs> like, I don't know, Lord. Like, what's the model? We look at what the Jews do, where our roots really are with synagogue and, um, even that's confusing at times because if you look at the scrolls and how they unroll the scrolls and Judaism fascinates me because I think that every Christian or a person that is a follower of Jesus, not a Christian, Christian is just a term. And you've heard me say this before too, that I don't really, I don't identify as a Christian. I identify as a follower of Jesus. Christianity is a term that this is what bothers me is in, in our world today. Another thing that gets me a little bit is in our world today, the community, the church, so to speak, this Christian community rants and raves against all these other organizations. They talk about how everything is infiltrating the culture of the church and blah, blah, blah. Yet they themselves identify themselves from a derogatory term given from the outside. And now we've adopted <laughs> to be our own. Yet it is crazy to me. If you understand history, you just go Christian. The term Christian is not a positive term. It was given by at Antioch to describe all these little people that thought they were Christians. And it was a derogatory worldly term thrown on to followers of Jesus. Now here's how it's crazy about it. We adopted it because we thought it was cool. Let's find something in the Bible. Up to that point, these people were known as people of the way. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a Christian. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, right, except through the Father. So I look at that, and I go, okay, so going back to that other point, we'll go down a deep rabbit hole, man. We will go down, and I will start ranting. But we go, that our fingers are all over manipulating the ministry, then it's just a movement of man, right? So that's right. I got people writing me right now. I'm going to turn this down. These, I got good friends. Okay, I do have good friends. I don't know why they like me. He, well, I'm going to heckle you today. Okay, so people, like, they're funny. So a, a shout-out to those in other states, Texas. Got some people from New York that are watching, stuff like that. Okay, dorks. Montana, get to say Montana. Got people from Montana, they're online, Carolina, South Carolina, California, where else? Utah, Nevada, New Jersey, that's right, New Jersey, 
Do we got? We are international right here, and we have no idea what we're doing. Okay. So going back to that, let me go back to that and finish this while I let all these people just leave me alone. Okay. They're heckling me. They heckle me, man. So anyhow, here's what's so cool about this church. Here's what I like about it. <clears throat> I love preaching, man. I love preaching the good news. You guys know I love to go out and crush evil during the week and then come back and preach Jesus. But I also love the fact that we, I don't have to worry about, I trust if I'm not here, who as a Kavod board and who decides who's going to teach. Because I trust those teachers within this church, in this body, that you'll be well fed. And it's not like this idol worship. I think what happens a lot of times in churches is the pastor becomes this name, this name stay, right? And it's not bad. He's got a call from God, but he almost becomes an idol to the people. Like people won't come if the pastor's not preaching. That is just horrific theology, horrific theology. So what we want you back, but in the meantime, I'm going to show you how I like to do my family gatherings at my family. Does that make sense to you guys? Am I just rambling? Here's the deal too. When we're off, when I'm not here, typically, there's a few times I'm just playing right? I just need a break. But if I'm not here, this is some of the impacts that we've been having. I just sat with some folks um, who don't belong to the faith of Christ, but belong to another faith that found about, out about the Band of Brothers. They've heard me talk about the Band of Brothers, and now they want to know if, if they can send like nephews and family members to this Band of Brothers in the need of Christ. We've got guys that I work with that, are, that I'm humbled to be able to serve with they're coming to a saving grace of Jesus Christ because we're bringing in. Matter of fact, we even have the guy that oversees us all that will actually call me before operations, before things that we do and say, I'm telling you and you won't start it until you pray and you pray and you pray every time and you pray over the team. This is this impact that Kavod is having that you guys are having. I want you to think about from this little tiny jungle outpost, we are affecting Central America, South America, North America. It's the trippiest thing and honored to be a part of it. Amen? Amen? So good. All right. So we are in Judges. Judges. No fans today. All right. <laughs> I cannot believe that earlier this week, not a week ago, I was in eight degree weather, 12 inches of snow. It was horrible. I went out to clean the car because, you know, we've been in that before, girl, you know. And I went out to scrape the windows and stuff so we get the car going. And I'm in a t-shirt, my pants, and a little pair of gloves, right? And I'm scraping the windshield and I start, something triggers in my brain. My brain's like, hello. I hear this. Hello, brain. This is the ears. We're about to fall off. Like, it really hurts. There's we're sending you paint because I realize I don't real. I'm just trying to get the ice off the windshield, and all of a sudden I go, "Ow, ow, what is happening?" I run up in the house, shut the door, get by the heater. Oh, my ears! Hey, I asked for a fan, and it's got breeze. Thank you, Jesus. Right? So it's trippy then to be back here, and it's like yesterday I get off. I'm in long sleeve shirt. People are looking at me at the airport like, "I'm all that's right. I'm on drugs. I'm on the Jesus drug." Jesus keeps me cool, baby. <laughs> right? So anyhow, it's good. Judges chapter 4. Lord, open our heart to your word. We want to just hear from you. You are amazing to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We have been going through the book of Judges. We're taking this journey and looking at it hopefully a little bit different than you typically look at Scripture. I want us to look at things that are not religion. Like I'm talking to guys all the time, and I'll tell dudes this, whether it be at Banner Brothers or different events I'm speaking at. I'm like, hey, if you know your denomination or if you know what the church, if you know their views better than you know the Bible, something's wrong with your theology because you're basing your theology off man's denominational view and they'll tell you all day long oh our view is based upon our theology of God that's how we wrote this bullcrap you've created something I'm not saying it's more about what you believe from your denomination than what the very word of God says because then we miss the depth of the word of God and we throw out what God's trying to say it amazes me that the American the western church even the even the church in Europe throws out, it's actually anti-Semitism. It is. It is just, it's anti-Jewish. They will throw out the very roots of our existence to make it fit a culture that we live in today that makes us live comfortably so they don't teach it. I'm, I'm telling you, get into it, study it yourself. You'll start going, oh my gosh, I need to know. I'm not going to study Judaism. I'm not going to become a Jew because I was, adopted, I was adopted into the family of Christ. Therefore, I am a son of the living crap. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ fulfilled the sacrifices for you and I. He didn't do that so we could just go off and add all these different religious act, ideas and add it in. He didn't do that. What he said was, I no longer want you to have to go kill bulls and sheep and you women, every time you have that month, then you have to go get two turtle doves and you got to slice them and you got to walk around, you're unclean and you can't go into a public. All of that was fulfilled by Christ so that we could be a part of his family, but we represent him. I don't represent Christianity. You understand that? The moment you adopt Christianity as your identification, then you're working hard not to disrespect that. When our identity is right in Christ, then I, I'm not worried about disrespecting. I worry about dishonoring the one who gave everything. Big difference. Disrespecting is all about me. Disrespect me, I'll kick your ass, blah, blah, blah. You see it all the time in the world, right? Man, when you dishonor somebody, it crushes you. It crushes you because it's not about you anymore. It's about what you did. You guys tracking? And so you come to this point where you go, oh, man, Lord, I want to know the depth of who you are so that in this, I represent the kingdom of heaven and the movement of you. And I know that I'm going to make mistakes. I know that I'm going to do stuff. And when I do, I am so grateful for the shedding of your blood that forgives me of the mistakes that you knew I would do before I do them. And yet you still honor me with your grace. Oh my gosh. So we just move forward. And that's this community is to know, like through Boneville and Kavod, is that we are walking in him, in Christ Jesus. Like Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. You want to follow me? I'll lead. 
but I want to lead in Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Basically, what Paul's saying is, look, we're all in this thing together. Each of us have a different, he says it, right, in Romans and that, you know, we all have a different Ephesians and he says it in multiple letters where we all have a different race to run, but we're all doing this together, okay? So that's what our passion is. So listen, Deborah chapter four, Old Testament, good stuff. Remember I talked ago when I was here, I mean, sorry, Judges chapter four. And in, <laughs> my wife, you know, my wife's heckling me. This phone's gonna start buzzing, bzz, 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 bzz. jerks. You think my life's easy? My gosh. We looked at the names. Here was something interesting. God had me begin to look at the names of the judges and what the meanings were. Fascinating. Fascinating what we So we saw that Othanel means is the meaning of it in Hebrew is God's lion. So at the beginning of Judges, they cry out, hey, we need someone to come save us. God sends Othanel, which is God's lion. Who did he? There's this picture of salvation here. He is a, a picture of the forecoming of the line of the tribe of Judah, where he will come and save his people. Ehud means to love, to praise, and to unify the second judge. Second judge Ehud means to love, to praise, to unify. What does he do to the people? The people cry out again after years. They cry out and say, hey, we need your help. Come save us. So what does he do? He sends this judge, which is a picture of a savior, right? Who will judge the earth? Dude, is this trippy stuff. Every, you hear me say it all the time. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Everything. It's not a mystery. It's a mystery if you don't see your story in the story and look at God's story and where you fit in the story. It's a mystery if you begin to look at it just for you of how you can manipulate the world, not God's story and where you fit in it for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. Right? It's a mystery to us when we say, God, I don't know how you're going to provide. And he says, well, that's the way a good father does it. You don't have to worry about it because I'll provide for you and you'll have what you need when it's there. You'll always have. It's never just enough. He doesn't want us to have just enough. He wants us to have overflowing. We're the ones that he gives us. And then we say, oh, it's just enough because we're comparing ourselves to some other jackasses in the world. And so we compare our just enough as not enough. But if you stop and quit comparing yourself to other people and you look at what God's giving, you realize that you have more than enough for the situation that you're in. That's a fact. Oh, man, I got one phone. It's a year old and the new titanium came out. Oh, if I only had that. My family will teach me with this. I got this pair of shoes coming. I've been wanting this pair of shoes for a while. I was pissed that they didn't show up on time. They're crafted in Maine with, listen to this, they're crafted in Maine. American made, all American made material. Veteran owned company, right? Everything. With, they're made with Lakota buffalo skin. Made to my foot. They're my shoe. I've been wanting this boot for a while. I've been wanting it for a long time. It doesn't show up when I'm in the States like they said it would. So I'm grouchy. I called their company bad names. And then I looked down in my suitcase and in my suit, and I brought another pair of boots that I gave away to replace the boots I have. And I'm thinking, uh, that was an error. 
because now I'm walking around in snow with no boots, okay? But I'm looking at my suitcase and I go, the Lord like reminds me that, hey, you got this pair of sandals, you got a pair of sneakers in there, you got a pair of your slides in there, um, you knucklehead, chucklehead, you have a pair of Sorrells downstairs in Utah that you're going to take with you to Montana that will keep your foot warmer than those stupid boots that you're worried about having. Uh, you have more than enough. As a matter of fact, you have an abundance. And I, my first thought was how many people I know that don't even have a pair of shoes. That's the Lord that we serve. That's the Lord. And I'm not saying that we do this thing because you can't outgive God, but you also can't manipulate God. But the moment I start comparing like myself to the world, oh, it didn't come on time. If I ran that, I had multiple conversations while I was driving with the CEO of this company. Right? You know what I'm saying? In my head, you guys have all had those conversations. Come on, don't lie to me. If I was talking to him, this is what I'm talking to you about right now. You know, this is an inefficient way to run your car. What a jackass I am at times. A jackass? Is that bad? Okay. Is that a bad word? It's a, it's a donkey. <laughs> it's a donkey. Man, you guys are religious. All right, we're going to reverse course here and get back. We're going to break off religion here in just a minute. All right? I did not know that a farm animal is a bad word. I was talking about me, none of you. If you guys are insulted by that, you got sin in your lives. We need to have a, a revival. Listen, let's get over here right now. We're going to have what we call a deliverance ministry right now, right here in front of everybody. Goodness gracious, you. My grandma used to say, when you point your finger at somebody, you've got three pointing back at you, suckers. All right. Anyhow, let's get back. We have fun here. So Ehud means to love to praise, to unify. What does Christ do? He comes to unify his people in love. He comes so that we may praise him. And that's, this, that's what Christ did. What did Jesus say? You think I'm kidding you? What did Jesus say in John chapter 3? Most people can say with me right now, John 3, 16. What's 17. There's only a couple people that can quote that, and they're like, I'm hearing a couple family members here. <laughs> because if you don't understand John 3, 12, 13, 14, and 15, and 17, then 16 is just a cool little mantra that's cool to hold up at a sporting event. You go all the way back to leading up, Jesus begins to talk about that passage. Here's just a little lesson for us, really honestly, to help us grow. When you look at that passage, you've got to understand what Jesus is saying. You've got to understand the reference. As Just as Moses in the wilderness lifted up the bronze snake, all who looked upon it were saved. So, right? God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world would be saved. He came to unify. He came to love. So please go back and understand that before you throw John 3.16 at somebody. 
know what's happening before and after. It's the keys to unlock, and I will guarantee you this, it's a promise. When you understand and unlock that, those verses and you have an understanding, your passion with John 3.16 will mean something completely different to you. Because now suddenly you're not throwing something at somebody for them. You are giving them what was you. You get you tracking? You're giving them what you have received. You looked at the snake. You were dying and looked at Christ risen, put to the, you see what I'm saying? And then you also realize that oh, it's not my job to judge you. Because my Christ didn't judge me, he judged my sin. And now I'm giving you him to draw you to him. It's a beautiful picture, beautiful picture, so awesome. Then we looked at Shamgar. Shamgar's this brief little, this brief little guy right here, and his word means sword, sword, sharper than any, any two-edged sword. He, what does he do? He comes in, the Philistines roll into town. They tell, it doesn't say much, really. It doesn't say much except for this, that Shamgar, a bunch of Philistines roll in. He gets a sharp, pointy oaks, you know, friggin' spear, it says it right there, and he killed 600 dudes single-handedly with the sharp pointy stick. Why? Because they were bringing evil into the land. And we talked about that. To us as a people, do we kill the things that do not belong in our lives? Do we slay them, or are we too politically correct and woke? We talked about that, that God throughout Scripture tries to tell us over and over through the judges, and we move into David's life. We continue to move on. God never told you and I ever one time to tame the lion and the bear. He told us to kill it. He told us to kill it. He showed that as a young man, he taught David how to kill the lion and kill the bear. So that when the giant shows up in your life, you know how to fight the giant and kill it. Most people have giants right now. They don't, it's not even the devil. It's just the giants of life. But you don't know how to kill it because you've, made, you've tamed the lion and the bear. Because it's not political. You got these weak pastors. They won't teach you to be mean. Sometimes you got to be mean. Sometimes you got to look at evil and go, you're not welcome here. Because sometimes evil will present itself in the form of a man or a woman. And you got to look at him and go, you do not belong here. I will not be friends with you. I will love you and tell you about Jesus. But you and I will not have dinner together. And you and I will not occupy the same space. You need to go away, fool. Oh, that's mean. A pastor can't say that. Ah, uh, yes, I do. Not coming in this place. But we've been taught what? Let's just let him in. I don't know why my wife's having an affair with him. Because you're weak. That's right, as a husband, you're weak. And you let a scoundrel in your home. Don't cry to me. You want her back, you go fight. And I ain't helping you. <gasps> That's me. No, it's not. The only person that can help you at this point is Jesus. You better hold on to him and fight for your marriage. Freaking make me. You want me to win your wife back for you, you coward? Your cowardly actions are why your wife's not with you anymore. You see what I'm saying? The Lord's like, he, the Lord's agreeing, you feel it? The Holy Spirit's coming. Man. Thank you, Jesus. Now we get to this part of Scripture that has been abused two ways by the church. 
One way, the women, strong women, pastors love this passage of Scripture. There's a couple passages of Scripture the women go, if you're in that feminist movement, you're like, that's right. This is proof that God can have a woman be a pastor. This has nothing to do with a woman being a pastor. It has nothing to do with the calling. Don't take it out of context. It has nothing, this has nothing to do with the calling on someone's life. It does have stuff to do with God's structure and how he likes to fight. It does have something to do with prophecy and prophetic words, very much so. It does have something to do hugely with the fact that if you don't listen to God, you're screwed. Right? And it has everything to do with the fact that God and God alone is the leader, not you and I. That's what this passage of Judges is. Deborah. All right? Actually, the word is pronounced like Deborah. Deborah. Almost like Kabod. Deborah. You know what it means? You know what the word Deborah means? B. Little old B. That's what the word means. Just a B. I bet you sometimes Dave feels like there's a little B. You can't eat that, Dave. Dave, you need to go exercise. Listen, there are two. We need to understand this. There are two great women mentioned in the Torah. And one, um, one of them in the Hebrew Bible, the first one that's mentioned is the nursemaid of Rebecca. Now, you'll, this will make sense to you in just a moment. So the first little bee is a nursemaid to the matriarch, Rebecca. Now, the Jews, Rebecca is a matriarch. She's very important in Jewish history, okay? The second, though, Right? The second is who we were talking about here. The second one, this second, this Deborah, um, and this is important in Jewish society and religion, the Midrash says that the Jewish people and the Torah are compared to bees in several ways. This is interesting. So now we're, we're kind of bringing in some stuff that we don't have to do, like Midrash and all that stuff. But we do have to understand the Torah is the same Bible that we're reading. Okay? It's the same Bible. It just stops at the, where the New Testament comes in. So don't get all goofy on me and go, he's introducing new doctrine. No, I'm introducing doctrine you've never heard about because we've erred as pastors. Okay? And not saying it. So we're trying to correct it. Okay? So th this is what's happening. The first one is this. Listen to this, what they, we look at as a bee. This name Deborah, it's going to make sense when we read the story. Just as bees swarm behind a leader, so too are the Jews led by the sages and the prophets who teach and guide them. Bees will swarm behind a leader. It's so interesting that Deborah is kind of, she's not a queen, but she's a prophet. And the people will swarm behind her in this moment. Okay. Now, here's the deal. I've read this, I've read it in different versions, and all the stuff I taught, uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it anymore. Not that it's wrong, there's a new doctrine. It's, I think we didn't understand it because we were looking at it from a, we tried to compare it between man and woman. We tried to create a division in it, not understanding what God's doing in it. And you'll understand in just a moment, okay? 
The second is just as the sting of the bee is bitterly painful, yet its honey is sweet, so does the Torah bring um, bitterness for those who do not follow her ways. But, listen to this, it is a sweet life to those who do. Taste and see. What does the rabbi dip his finger in? Honey. And he dips it, and each student, they get to dip their finger and taste how good the sweetness of it is. Now, I also believe that too much of that religion, if we eat, if the Bible will talk about too much sweets and stuff like that, will sour our stomachs. I think if we take God's word, you can never have too much of the goodness of God. But if you take the goodness of God and turn it into your own religion, it's bitter to you. That's why all the laws are so hard to keep. Interesting, my perspective, that's a Johnism. We can talk about that if you disagree. I just look at it and go, there's no place for religion. Third is this, just as a nation, um, just as the nation of, of, or I'm sorry, the nature of a bee is to collect pollen and nectar for others, so to the Jews toil, accumulating Torah, the word of God, and the mitzvahs, things that they do from it, not for their own benefit, but to give pleasure to Yahweh or Papa in the New Testament, right, in heaven. So this bee, they go out and they collect pollen. The pollen is, is to create honey for the community. And so our lives reflect this. But here's what's interesting in it. So we, have, we need to get this before we go in and look at what she did. There's, these are the mysteries that God reveals if we'll just spend the time. Okay? Uh, the Maharasha says this. That Devora is also a lowly insect. And serves as a reminder to its bearer. Or for us. The namesake, if you're named Deborah. Or to you and I. To always remain humble. Such an interesting thing here, and we're going to see it in her life, Deborah here, in this short story, of, not her life, but a short, her story in the story where your story is. Think about that for a second. This little bee is just a humble, like everyone's afraid of bees. If you're allergic to bees, you're like, ah, you run away. I'm not afraid of a single bee. Single bee, I'm like, I will smash you right now, sucker. You can come approach me with all that you got. You can be mean. I got thumbs, sucker. God created me with thumbs, man. I over, we, you know, if we got thumbs, if you and I got thumbs, we're dominant over everything in the world. Now, does that mean we're supposed to? Like I saw this sign a second time. I want to get it for here. It says that which does not kill you makes you strong, except for grizzly bears. Grizzly bears will kill you, right? <laughs> so grizzly bears, but we can still beat a grizzly bear. We've developed ways to greet a grizzly bear. Why? Because God created this way. But watch this. A swarm of bees I'm terrified of. Right? A swarm I'm terrified of. But a single bee? You better stay humble, little bee. Because even if you sting me, I will smash you and kill you. I won't let you die slowly. I will smash you and let you know the judgment of John has fallen upon you. Right? Go back to your maker, little bee. <laughs> Watch this. You ready? You ready for this wild ride? Because now it's going to get interesting. The people of Israel kept right on doing evil in God's sight. With Ehud dead, God sold them off to Jabin, king of Canaan, and ruled with Hazar. Sisera, 
who lived in Herosheth Hagaim, was a commander of his army. The people of Israel cried out to God because he had cruelly oppressed them with his 900 iron chariots for 20 years. These people were under rule. God's people were under the rule of a tyrant for 20 years. It doesn't tell us what really in scripture. We could look historically, but it was tyrannical. I bet you rape was common. Slavery, stealing your kids was common. All your hard work, you could have a nice crop and you show up the next day, there's a bunch of soldiers filling up their carts with your crop. I bet you that was common for 20 years. Taxing you 80% of your income, common. This is what was happening for 20 years. It took them 20 years to cry out. I mean, like, I stubbed my toe. I'm crying out to God right then. Ah, what did I do? Right? Nothing. You're just human. You stubbed your toe. But we should be crying out to God for everything. When something doesn't seem right, we should immediately go, is there something in me, God? Can you search me and know me? It's biblical. Read Psalm 139. If something doesn't seem right, if there's a fear that has engulfed you, if there's something of worry that you're beginning to worship because that's all you think about, if that is the thing, do you cry out to God and say, search me and know me and show me the things that don't belong and remove them, please? Took him 20 years, so the pain wasn't that bad. Deborah was a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth. She was a judge over Israel at the time. She, could, she held court under Deborah's palm between Ramah and Bethel in the hills of Ephraim. The people of Israel went to her. Now, this is interesting, in matters of justice. doesn't say they just went there just to get counsel. So Deborah held this position that God gave her, and she was wise and was a prophet in the area of justice. So if, if somebody had stolen someone's land, encroached, they would go to Deborah, and she would, make, she would judge over that. Yeah, you encroached, or no, you weren't using that land, and you were too lazy, and that land could feed 100 people, and you're so lazy that you're not even helping the community, so I'm giving that land to them. But, I mean, I could hear this in my head. This is my world, right? I can hear the conversation. But Deborah then saying to the landowner she gave it to, if you get greedy with this, I'm giving it back to him. I will let your toil and your hard work become his blessing. So don't get lazy and make sure all this food goes to everyone else, not your kingdom. So you don't get to have profit from this hundred acres. So totally counterculture of this whole my land right thing right now. That thing's all about greed. The thing that bothers me the most is not giving people land. The thing that bothers me the most is they're not reading the Bible and people are agreeing with them that call themselves followers of God. They're not followers of God. They don't have any understanding of the Bible. They don't have any understanding of God's heart. Those small group of people are greedy suckers. All they care about is what they're going to get for themselves and the legacy that they're going to try to set for themselves because they want to be have schools named after them. But I will guarantee you, just like what it says in Proverbs and what it says in Ecclesiastes, that no one's going to remember your name 50 years from now. You guys understand that? Like, I have this personal passion that I want my kids, 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 kids to know who Grandpa Goss was. I want them to know. It's a legacy I want to leave. But it's because we loved God and we stood for justice. The reality is, if 
my kids don't raise their kids right, their kids will lose who we were. Now my prayer is that they will do. And that will carry on a strong tradition. But also it won't hurt my feelings. Because the Bible says they're probably not going to remember who I am. But I could give a rat's rear end. You know why? Because I'm going to be in heaven. With my Savior. Where all is good. And right. And just. And no more tears. And tacos for days. I don't have to go on like keto diet and Oh, get me going. Here's what's cool, too, about this passage right here. Her office is under a palm tree. All the simplicity. How we have become so sophisticated in such a way that it's, we've lost the brutal simplicity where honesty comes from. Now think about what I just said. Look at the laws that we have in our world today. They're so sophisticated that there's no longer honesty in law because there's a loophole for good and bad. It's horrific. We need to get back to the place where we're practicing these things under a palm tree. Transparent with God. The truth is, the right is right. What's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong. Now we can justify wrong. It, it just, it's fresh. I'll go off on that too, guys. Right? She sent for Barak. Now, this is where the story gets really cool. Ladies, listen to this. It gets really rad. All you KSSMers, here you go. Here's where it starts to get really good. Lisa's like, oh, preach it now. All you guys at home, listen up. She sent for Barak, son of Abahnoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali. And said to him, it has become clear that God, now she's a prophetess. She said, it has, it has become clear that God, the God of Israel, right? So she's making, this is clear here. This is the God of Israel speaking. Not of Baal, not of any of this. I'm a spokesman for God. Here's, she is bold, bold in her faith. She is bold. And she says this, commands you. This is what she says to this guy. I command you, go to Mount Tabor and prepare for battle. So she calls this guy in. Now we're going to look at different ways that you've heard this. She's called this guy in. She's using a position that God already has her in. She's already in a position of leadership. This isn't a justification of a pastor. And this has nothing to do with the man didn't do what he was supposed to do. So God had to raise up a woman. No, the woman was already raised up. Throw that crap out the window. If you've ever heard a pastor teach that, throw that crap out the window. She's already raised up, sitting in a position as a judge, as a prophetess for God. So throw out all that freaking male chauvinistic crap that denominations teach right now. Throw it out. It's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. She's already in a position don't try to justify your position as a man pastor because you feel threatened by women in your church by a passage like this. It's dumb. And you're a fool for teaching that way. Okay? She's raised up and in a high position with God. And she's honored amongst the people. God honors her. She goes to this guy who's clearly, Barak is clearly a warrior. 
and clearly knows how to fight and has fought for the great ancestors, understood. He knew who Joshua was. He knew, he probably knew Caleb. He probably learned fighting tactics from Caleb. Honestly, when you understand where we're at here in the story and the timeline, he probably watched Caleb. Caleb was one of those dudes, man, I'll get 80 years old. I'll take the hill country where the giants are. I will take them, but I get the land, right? Yeah, you get the land. Okay, good. And then we saw that the story earlier, kind of the preface of the whole story, where he goes and his nephew does the same thing. Because he, he, the only person that he had in his life was Caleb that discipled him like a father, and he fought like his father. It's just beautiful. And he says this. Take, she says to him, take ten companies of soldiers from Naphtali and Zebulun, I'll take care of getting Caesarea. This is what she says. Like, she's speaking for God, though. You take ten companies. Notice this. This is where we jack this up. She's speaking as to the Lord. And it says, and I'll take care of Caesarea, the leader of the Jewish army, or the Jabin's army, to the Kishon River and all of his chariots and troops, and I'll make sure you win the battle. you got to listen clearly what's happening here. One, she's a prophetess. She's of justice. So God's speaking, there's, there's injustice taking place. And so she's the mouthpiece for God saying, I'm bringing justice. She's not bringing the justice. She's the mouthpiece of the one who brings justice. This is something important that we need to grab onto. So she says, I shall bring you victory. No, she's speaking. You do this. Go get your 10, your ten companies and prepare for battle. I will bring him to the place, I will pick the fight site, and I will hand him over to you. At this point in the history of the Bible, we've seen this ten times before this point, and we're going to see it a hundred times after this point, where God says, I will bring victory to you, but I require you to fight. Our society today and what the American and Western church teaches is that God is a genie in a bottle. That he is your spiritual Santa Claus. That he is your lucky charm. Wear your cross. And you are not required to fight. You're just required to ask God, and when he doesn't give you what you want, you cry like a little baby. But what we're seeing here is the mouthpiece says, this is what you do. Now watch, here's an example. You think I'm lying? It's happening today. This is what you'll do, Barak. And I'll bring victory to you. Okay? Barak said, this is where people take it all out of context. Barak said, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. She's speaking in the spiritual. He begins to speak in the natural. She's speaking prophecy over him, prophetically. This is what God's telling you to do. He takes that and responds to her in the natural. Here's what her response is. She said, of course I'll go with you. Watch this. Of course I'll go with you, Barak. You coward. He's not a coward. 
just as a man of doubt, like everyone else in this room at times. But this is the story where we go, Lord, remove it from me. Because you've showed us over and over and over again as your children, we should not doubt your word, but stand firm in it. But understand that with an attitude like that, notice how she's calling them out here. Okay? She's responding. Of course, I'll go with you. But understand, with an attitude like that, there will be no glory in it for you. And there she speaks from God again. God will use a woman's hand to take care of Sarah. You see, I, I wonder if God wanted to take Barak and move him into position of a general where he may be the next judge. Honestly. Where in this position, he's setting something Barak. Barak, let's not, let's not bash him. A lot of the church are bad. He's a weak dude. Blah, blah. No, dude's going into battle, you cowards. You stand behind a pulpit safe because you have 911. This dude's picking up a sword and going against an army that's, that has totally brutalized your people for 20 years that has 900 chariots that have, that have iron on them. This is a bad freaking army. And so the dude's not a coward. He's not a weak man. But I'm wondering, like you and I, if he had different plans for Barak, but like God does with you and I, God loves partnership. He won't thrust you into something you're ill-prepared for that brings shame. God will not let us. We do, but he will, not let, he will not put us in a position on purpose to shame his name. I should be this leader. I should be that. No, you shouldn't because you haven't done anything to be there. You just want to be exalted to it. You'd be a horrible leader. So it's just my personal opinion. I read the story. I go, oh, man. Lord, what area am I Barack right now? What area in my personal life? If there's something there, show it to me so I can reverse course. I don't want to miss out any blessing that God has for me. We're going through something big, and we'll share that with you guys later. Something that is just mind-boggling to me. But it's beautiful. It's nothing bad. It's just big. The bee's showing up, Deborah. Devora. It's a bee in here. Dave right now is going, quit taking my, yeah, anyhow, here we go. So she says this to him. Now, here's what's interesting. Also, when she speaks this, guys, listen to this. It's a prophetic word, not for a hundred years from now. It's a prophetic word for the moment. It's prophecy that Barak will see in the moment. So those of, you, those of us that talk about this stuff, like show me in the Bible this stuff, like this is prophecy, guys. The stuff at KSSM, when you guys are learning how to use these gifts, this stuff is real. Your stuff isn't, but the Holy Ghost stuff through you is as real today as it is back in this day. This is mind-boggling to me. Because I had really, until we started studying Judges this time, I'd really not ever seen the supernatural in the natural like this in the Judges, where God is highlighting the supernatural. Here's this prophetess, and so she is prophesying. She says, notice she says this, God will use a woman's hand to take. It is his job. It's Barak's job to kill the other general. You guys understand what I'm saying? 
Barak's job, she, God calls. This is where I'm telling you, this isn't speculation. God says to her, call Barak and tell him this. She calls Barak. He is to kill the general of this army. He is to kill Caesarea, Caesarea, whatever his name is. That's Caesarea. That's his job. By his hand, he is to kill this man. He refuses, and she says, she gives a prophetic word from God in the moment. Then God will use a woman to do your job. That has nothing to do with the exact, with. Feminism and all that. Dude, woman, the tribe, the... It has nothing to do with that. It's like, I wonder if God sits in heaven and goes, hey, watch this. We're going to do it like this because they're not looking at the spiritual side and who I am, but watch the controversy it's going to create in the church. <laughs> well, watch the division. They'll take one beautiful thing and they'll divide each other with it. We're a bunch of goose. We don't look at the victory. We look at what benefits us the most and then we divide each other with it. It's just so dumb. It's dumb. Is that, is that politically incorrect to say from the pulpit? Whatever. California and New York right now are screaming if they're hearing it. You can't say that word! Texas and people from Montana are like, yeah, man, flipping off the screen. That's what I'm talking about, brother! You know? Go, Peach! Yeah, I'm just saying. So Deborah got ready and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called uh, Zebulun and Naphtali together at Kadesh. Ten companies of men followed him, and Deborah was with him. It happened that after, it happened that Hebor, the Kenite, had parted company with the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, um, Moses' in-law. He was now living in Zananunium, Oak, near Kadesh. They told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinam, was gone up to the Mount Tabar. He immediately called up all of his chariots to the Kishon River, 900 iron chariots, along with his troops who were with him at Herosheth Higanum. Now, I want you to see the prophetic that's happening here. She says, this is where I'm telling you that you go, oh, listen to me. This is prophetic. She is not talking about her. She is saying, I will. That's how I know that this is God speaking through her. I will give you the victory. I will make him rally his troops and come to where you are. Who does he use? He uses an in-law of Moses who separates from the Kenites that says, hey, man, the troops are on the move. This general goes, oh, they're on the move. Where are they going? They're going to this place. Well, then you go to the exact site that Deborah told Barak where the fight would be, and God delivers the army into his hands. How many of you know you're supposed to go to war, and you don't ask God where? How many of us do that? We don't ask him how we're supposed to fight. Hey, how are you? We don't ask him how we're supposed to fight or where we're supposed to fight. We just go out in our own power by the word of God to fight. God is very strategic. God has these systematic plans, man. He knows how to do it. He is strategic in his planning for warfare. He knows how to do this gig, okay? We need to trust him and go, how do you want me to fight this fight? How do I deal with this situation with an in-law, with a family member? How do I deal with this government in this? How do I be strategic, Lord, in the strategies of heaven, not the strategies of man? 
We need to ask him that. But we also have to be men and women of action where when we ask for this, we don't sit on it and wait for him. We partner with it. There are times in my life where I just go, okay, Lord, this is what I feel like you're going to do. And I move forward in it. I just move forward in it. I'm not sure. And those of you that know me know, man, what's he doing? He's just moving forward. Why? Because I feel like God said to move forward. If I fail in moving forward because I'm listening to God, then it's a great learning lesson for me. If I don't move forward and I fail because I'm sitting on my big fat butt, then God, it's your fault. It's my fault because I was inactive. And the gospel is active. It's active. Go talk to that person. Oh, I don't know. They're mean, mean. That guy's not very receptive to Jesus. Okay. Coward. Just walk up and talk to the person. Hey, what's up, man? What's up with you? Jesus loves you, sucker. Change your evil ways. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But are you even asking him? What about decisions in your family? What about decisions in your home? Are you even asking him how to fight the fight in your home? There's a war in your home. There's a war for your home. Are you asking him what not to be or what to be in your home? Are you asking him every day to encamp his warring angels around your home? Are you asking him that every day? Lord, thank you for encamping your warring angels and release your dogs of war to patrol my property against all that is evil, gross and grotesque. It's so funny to me, I'll say, release your dogs of war, and people go, that's not biblical, a dog of war. I'm thinking, how is it not biblical? Because you believe that there's these demonic, horde-looking creature things that will come, and you believe everything that you see in these evil movies that is demonic, but if there's this really awesome German Shepherd or Malinois or Pitbull or something that's awesome and it's heavenly and holy, that that's not biblical to be released that militaries use, but the other stuff, you, you're, you're, figure yourself out, you religious goof. You're terrified of stuff you don't understand. You mock things that you don't understand. But when was the last time you prayed that? God, release your dog, God's dogs of war. I've watched my dogs in the backyard at night, seriously. I'll be sitting out in the backyard, no lights on, smoking a cigar. Enjoying the Lord. Enjoying the dogs. And my dogs will sometimes, Liberty will come sit by me and, she, and then she'll do this. You ever seen a dog do this? She'll go. It's like, I'm looking at her going, what does she see? She's not barking. Her fur's not up. She's like at peace. It's like she's enjoying something. Wow, look at that thing. And then she looks at me like, you see it? I'm like, mm -mm, don't see it, dog. <laughs> then there's other times where she's sitting there, and all of a sudden, the, for no reason, the fur. By the way, if you decide to sneak up in the jungle to me when I'm sitting in the backyard smoking a cigar, know this. I don't sit in my backyard without a loaded weapon. I just want you to know. Okay, so <laughs> just so you know, just warning. But there's other times we're sitting there and all of a sudden she'll sit right up, the fur will rise up, ranger's fur will rise up, and they will just dart towards the fence line, growling and barking. And I'm like, what in the world? And there's nothing there. You know why? I believe that they can see what we cannot see in the supernatural. And they know when there's evil around and they know when there's good. And I believe that when they're all like playing ball and there's nothing to worry about, I believe that it's, it's God's army is just with me in that backyard, letting me talk to God, smoking my cigar, just in conversation. And then when I see them dart, they just will dart in some direction towards something. I'll go, thank you, Jesus. 
thank you because something tried to breach the perimeter of your army. Your army. And in the physical is a constant reminder of the spiritual that you have got me. So when was the last time going with that that you asked God to do that for you? In your own home, in your travels, whatever it may be, God, surround us with your angels. Surround us with them. Lord, show me. I want to know you. Lord, let me read your word. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you really read the Bible, really read it, not to just complete pages, but to really read it and go, where am I at in this story? Lord, make the story alive to me. Like when I hear this, I can hear the clash of swords. I can hear these, like what I was saying earlier, I can hear conversations taking place. I don't come up here and say, thus saith the Lord with this stuff. But I could hear it. It becomes, so, Lord, make your word real to me. I want to see me in the story. I want to see the stuff that's happening in this story because it's affecting me in my life today. This isn't something that's cute. These are real people that are, are affected by the same things back then that I'm affected with today. So I'm hearing the gossip. I'm hearing the stuff in the stories. But I'm also hearing the praise. Read it that way. Read it that way and immerse yourself in it. It takes you a while to get through the Bible that way. But boy, is it a passionate journey. You become so close in it with God. Watch this. Deborah said to Barak, charge. She's a mouthpiece of God. So here again, be very careful when you start going, look, he's a weak man. No. He understands who the leader is here. His failure is he didn't believe the prophecy and he mocked the prophecy you guys understand deborah's not picking up a sword here deborah's not in the fight here that they want you to seem to believe that she's in it's a figment it's to justify a point they want you to buy into one way or the other she's the mouthpiece she's the moment man She's the person that's waiting. She's watching. She's in this. I can see Deborah in a conversation with God. You can probably see her in prayer. Like she's probably like, she's probably in tongues, just waiting. She's probably just moving, acutely aware of everything that's happening around her and who's around her, but acutely aware of the conversation that she's having with Yahweh. And she's probably at it in tongues. She's going at it. And then the moment that God says, now, she goes, charge. What's he doing? He's doing what he's supposed to do. And don't think of him as less of a man here. Oh, he's missing out on stuff, but he is this faithful general. And he's waiting for it. But because of his lack of belief, he will not be exalted to the position that God wants him to be in. Because he chose, he chose, not God. Charge, boosh, he charges. Barak charged down the slopes of Mount Tabar, his ten companies following him. God routed. Doesn't say that he did. What did she prophesy? I will win. Just go do. How many of us don't go do, and so you don't see victory? God doesn't listen to me, he doesn't love me, he doesn't hear my cry. No, he does. You don't hear him and hear his cry. Hey, you need to go sit down. Right? Watch this. We've got to get through this. Whose kids are those? 
So listen, God routed him. All those chariots, all those troops before Barak. You see what I'm saying? Before Barak. He routed him. He's just in this charge. Man, I'd like to see that. Man, it's like, what in the world is happening here? <laughs> Craziness. <laughs> now watch this. Caesarea jumped out of his chariot and ran. Dude, something supernatural is happening to the chariots. We're not quite sure what it is, but something supernatural is. It's like these things are like Tesla's gone wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like those Ubers that you see those all-electric Ubers that don't have a driver in New York and San Francisco that people are getting in them, and then the car just drives where it wants to drive to, and, the people, and it locks them in. They can't get out of the car. This dude's like, get out of the car! Get out of the chariot! Who knows? It, I'm telling you, it's something cool. I would love to see this. It's like, what is my horse is dead, but the chariot's still going? What is happening? I don't know. But it says that this cat jumps out of the chariot. Of the chariot. Now watch this. And he says this. Barak chased the chariots and the troops all the way to Herosheth, Haganayim. Caesarea's entire fighting force was killed. Not one man was left. God destroyed everyone. And his army, they destroyed everyone. But watch this. Meanwhile, Caesarea, running for his life, headed for the tent of Jael. Wife of Heber, the Kenite. Who else, right? So you, you see this, it's Kenites, right? Jabin, king of Hazar, and Heber, the Kenite, were on good terms with one another. Jael stepped out to meet Sisera and said, Come in, sir. Stay here with me. Don't be afraid. Listen, I run into a single woman's house, and she says, Don't be afraid. That's your indicator to run the heck back out. Because death is coming to you, pal. Listen, you have an idea of cheating on your freaking wife, and I'm telling you, there is symbolic stuff to this. Everything's okay. You're safe here with me, baby. Same thing for you ladies. Think about stepping out on your man, and you hear another man say, you're safe here, baby. This is all good. Nothing get you here. Death is on your doorstep, right? So he went with her into her tent. She covered him with a blanket. He said to her, please, a little water. I'm thirsty. She opened a bottle of milk gave him a drink, and then covered him up again. He then said, there's so much symbolic stuff here spiritually we could just spend. I mean, there's craziness in here. I'll let you guys do it. It is crazy. He then said, stand at the, t at the tent flap. If anyone comes by and asks you, is there anyone here, tell him, uh, no, not a soul, she said. Now listen to this. This dude's a king. He's a king. Steps into a woman's house and tells the woman to protect him. What a freaking coward. Now, I want you to see something here. For 20 years, this dude crushed an entire nation of people. And the whole time, he was a coward. In the end of days, God says, this is, you have to see the importance in these stories. In the end of days, the Bible says that we will look upon Satan and say, that, that, is what caused all the pain on us here. If you think I'm crazy that these are foreshadowing pictures of the salvation of God and what is to come, you, this should give you all courage that you need. Here's one man that went into a woman's tent. Cover me with a blanket. Here's some milk, little baby boy. This is the guy who everyone was afraid of. He's a coward hiding under a blanket. 
He's the boogeyman's coming. And Barack's the boogeyman. Barack is the boogeyman. Watch this. Then while he f- was fast asleep from exhaustion, dude falls asleep, dude. She gives him milk. I asked for water, woman. So next time you, if you do step out, she says milk. That's your second indicator. Run like a bugger. Right? I asked for water, woman. She's a disobedient woman. I asked for water. You give me milk? Okay. Just kidding. Some of the ladies are like, what did he just say? From asleep, he took, she took a tent peg and hammer. This chick is a stud, dude. She has figured out what evil is, and even though her husband and him were buddies, she was like, makes me wonder if this dude did something to her and she didn't like. Seriously. Because women do things differently. I would have grabbed a spear and rammed him through multiple times or a K-bar knife. I would have jumped on top of him and just went, hey, pow, kink, 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 kink. She does something completely different. She grabs a hammer, a tent peg, she tiptoes over to him. He thinks he's watching the door. And she drove the tent peg through his temple all the way into the ground. The Bible is very explicit. He convulsed and died. Like she, I want you to understand, she just didn't drive, hammer the thing through his skull. She hammered that, those tent pegs are long, dude. They weren't these little tent pegs. They're long. She drove that sucking thing into the ground as far as it could go with him on it. He did not die immediately. But he couldn't get unpinned, and he was acutely aware of who killed him. That is like, whoa, barbaric in a good way, in my opinion. It's like, dude, what did you do to her? You just got paid back. Now watch. Here's where it gets crazy. Barack arrived. Day late and a dollar short. In pursuit, he's in pursuit of him. Now he's emboldened. And I'm wondering about what's happening in his mind. Jael went out to greet him. She goes out. She meets him outside. She comes out to him and she says, come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. He went with her there and there he was, Sarah stretched out dead with a tent peg through his temple. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. The people of Israel pressed harder and harder on Jabin, king of Canaan, until there was nothing left of him. But here's what I want us to see here. Of the hands of a woman, prophecy fulfilled. She said he doubted God. And she said, okay, then you will not get the glory you were supposed to get. The glory will go to a woman. Deborah didn't say it would be her. She was speaking prophetically. And he ran into the tent of a woman. We don't know what's going on, but he ran in there. And there the glory goes to the woman obedient to God, but was intended for Barak. I often wonder, like, when I read this, that, and we'll, you know, close with this, but I see this, you know, prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy, word of prof- words of prophecy Therefore, today, as they were then, how many of you have had prophetic words spoken of over you that you haven't acted on? 
Maybe you should ask God if that prophetic word is still active in your life, if it's still being spoken over you, or if, like Barak, that you didn't. That's real. And ask God for forgiveness and get another chance at something, honestly. The second thing is, and this is for me, it's that crazy, you know, I wonder, I think of David's mighty men, honestly. And I wonder if Barak spent the rest of his life wondering, what if? I honestly think that as I read the story and I sat there this morning pondering it this week, you know, last week and a half I was away. You read through this, I wondered, man, I I wonder if Barak thought, what if? What if I had not questioned Deborah, the prophetic words of God? What if I I had killed Sisera? What, What if? So as I close today, I want you to think about this in your relationship with Jesus. Don't let your opportunities turn into what ifs. God is giving each of you opportunities that you won't step into because you're thinking about the what if. But what if this goes wrong? Or what if this goes wrong? What if it does? What is that to you? The enemy gets a vote. The enemy, will, the enemy will always get a vote in your life. But God has the final word. So you sit here and go, oh, if I move, it might get this. Or if I do this, this, this might happen. If I do this, this might happen. Who cares? What is that to you? Are you worried about how it makes you look? Are you prideful? So now you're dealing, God just loves you so much, he just revealed to you in this time that you're a prideful person and you worry about more what man thinks than what God thinks about you? Think about what I'm saying here. This is real. What if? Don't let opportunities that God presents to you turn into what if sitting on the front porch of your house when you're an old man or an old woman. What if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? Guys, I'm going to tell you this. I may not be a good example to you, but I will say this to you. People come to me all the time and go, we don't understand how, how you guys do what you do. It seems like you're always doing so much. It seems like you're busy all the time. Here's why. I mean, this morning, and I have to get reprimanded too. And I mean, this, <laughs> this morning, Lisa looks at me and goes, you know, it's okay to take a few days to relax. Right? And I have to put it in check too. But my life is, I don't want to ever have a what-if moment. I've had moments in my past of the what-ifs. And the what-if drives me to the now. It drives me to the moment where my grandkids people I love, you guys, that what you see is an example of somebody who doesn't have what ifs. What if I would have shared with that person? What if I would have went to that country? What if I would have went in to stop human trafficking? What if I wouldn't have taken a a chance and did Boneville back at Machaca? What if we wouldn't have come? I don't have those what ifs. I just did it and was petrified most of the time. Petrified. Will the people of Belize accept me? Will the people, I never had that what if moment. I just went in and said, all right, I'm going to love people in Belize. I'm just going to love them. I'm not going to have the what if moment. I've had a couple of those what if moments. And maybe you've had some what if moments. And I'll tell you this on the what ifs though. God will never ask you to go out and sin. And he'll never ask you to go out and do something where you're trying to jump the gun on somebody else or, you know, destroy and be a gossip or a slanderer or you know, Absalom, where you try to usurp authority. God will never have you do that, ever. But each of you have the what if. So this morning, I want to pray. 
I want to pray with you guys. I want you to pray. I want to take a moment and go, hey, what are the what if moments in your life that are haunting you? And I want you to give those to God. Quit letting that be your identity. The what ifs have to stop. And you've got to ask, though, the moment you ask God to take your what if that's been haunting you, you've got to ask him immediately, right? You've got to ask him immediately, what is now? What do you want me to do now? Sometimes he'll just say, sit with me. We need to fix up some stuff, and I need you to hear me again, creativity. I need you to hear me so that there's confidence in you when you hear me speak to you. Other times it's immediately to the what if moment is defining you because you need to apologize. You need to ask somebody for forgiveness. You need to do something. I don't know what it is, but I want us to take a moment, just you, and then we're going to pray together. But I want you to take a moment just right now. You don't have to close your eyes or anything, but just take a what if moment and say, hey, Lord, what are my what ifs? What's haunting me? If I could do it over, I know I'm forgiven, but if I could do it over, what is that thing that you know what it is, that is renting space? What if I would have done that? Take a moment and just, just pray. Pray to yourself. Just ask that. If you don't have that what if moment, if you are sitting here and you don't have a what if moment, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray really quick for somebody that you're supposed to stand up and just go lay your hands on their shoulder and then go put your hand on their shoulder. Don't talk to them. Just put your hand on their shoulder and you pray for them. Whatever God has you pray for them. Okay. what you want me to do. Give me my new opportunity. I love you, Lord. I serve you. And it is good to be called your daughter or your son. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.